He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's. I want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. We do not have James this time. He is battling the mold monster at his house and decided that was a much more important fight than sitting here and talking Christian Shaw. I think we tend to agree with them. That seems like the smart move for a family. You know, I think it's important that Tony Collette Jr. is safe. That's true. <laughs> we'll push it to Craig first this time. I'm slowly digressing in my conversation topics with people I don't know or just in general. To prove my point, in the last week, I have been stuck on the internal debate of what is the greatest sport blooper. Mark Sanchez's butt fumble. Or Jose Canseco's <laughs> home run that bounced off the top of his head. I can't get off of this topic. Are we allowed to vote on it? Hmm. Yeah, can we vote? I would love, I would love it. Mine's the butt fumble. That's the greatest play in NFL history. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Your Honor, wow. I would like to enter a different piece of evidence into the record. <laughs> you, might, you might scramble my brains, but let's do it. And that would be Randy Johnson absolutely destroying a bird with a 100-mile-per-hour fastball. Good. That good. is the first thing that came to mind for me. Oh, as it, it, it's a it's a solo blunder, but it's a blunder nonetheless. Is it a, is that a blooper or just amazing? Both. Yeah, they did some like sports science thing, and like the odds of that happening are like it'll literally never happen again. <laughs> like I think that's the most amazing thing that's ever happened on a baseball field, personally. So guys, <laughs> the look on Jose Canseco's head when the ball bounces off of his head into over the fence, and he's just looking around like, what happened? It's a contender. I agree with you. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting dumber and dumber by the day. And uh, preparing for this episode did not help because I fell into a, a deep dive rewatch of Last Man on Earth. Same. And Will Forte has not made me smarter. Oh, farts. <laughs> <laughs> for the record case, I am on season three, episode 10 of Last Man on Earth in the past two weeks. So I've been crushing it, too. And it's been an enjoyable. Yeah, dude, it's great. Rigby. Yeah, dog days of summer. Ready for football season. I don't know about you guys. Mm. August always seems like the longest month just because I always kind of associate it with going back to school and it's just like a, you know, there's kind of a dreadful feeling to it. So right. <laughs> ready for fall to, uh, to come, that's for sure. For a while there, I was getting pretty hungry and uh, I found some snacks and that I was eating some, some kneecaps last week because the first episode of Hard Knocks with my Detroit Lions landed, and I'm not hungry anymore. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Because I've been biting all the kneecaps since I watched that episode. I hope everybody but Case, who's a Vikings fan, so he's exempt from this. But Rigby, I know you don't technically have a team, so if you were looking for a team to adopt and you wanted nothing but pain and sorrow, my Detroit Lions and through Hard Knocks would be your option. <laughs> I'm not so much of a Lions fan. I do like Dan Campbell a lot, though. But we're excited to welcome back Cam Sully of the Jacked Up Review Show podcast. He's just a film buff and former indie filmmaker who organizes his commentators to rank everything from cult films and shows to video games, music, and food. <laughs> he previously joined us for the Keith David and Dennis Haysbert episodes, 
So he dropped off his African-American male actor gambit here <laughs> to join us to talk about Chris and Shaw. Welcome back, Cam. How are things, my friend, and how are things in the Jacked Up Review Show land? Things are delightful. We've collaborated with so many other podcasts this year. We'll get to that probably later, but it's just been a joy having new voices in the room. <laughs> yeah, so you guys have been covering music, food. You guys have been doing TV show marathons, categories. You've been covering a lot of stuff. But the key is to, if you can sum up a cool narrative and it doesn't ricochet back and forth into the bad too much, then if you can't be constructive about it, then let's not even enter it in as an entry to cover. Well, the last time this guy was here, he was given actors 95s, so we'll see if that carries over going forward. <laughs> it won't, I swear I won't. Birthdays, August 25th, Rigby, what do we got? All right, first up, we got Mr. Tim Burton. Mm. He's a director, so you might not know what he looks like, so guessing his age <laughs> might be a little might be a little tougher, but Ooh. he's mm. been around for a while. Very unique dude. I'm going to go in a different direction here, and I'm going to actually... Use the same guess I would use for Tim Robbins. And I'm going to say 72. <laughs> Good theory. Timmy B is 65. I'm going to go with 64. Man, you give yourself the tightest of windows, dog. Well, he squeezed into it because he's turning 64. This fucking guy. Did oh, you cheat? Hell. I did not look it up. I do not. All right. I go All to right. this cold. I got to cram in the actor's resume. All right. Nice work. All right. Next up, uh, we got Alexander Skarsgård. You know, Northman, Tarzan, True Blood, Big Little Lies. He's kind of been crushing it on the TV and the film side. So up and up and comer, and he's yeah, he's a he's a big deal these days. Loved him in the Northman. Excellent film. He loves to not wear pants. <laughs> Give me thirty-five. Uh, Cam, you go next, so that way you can't backdoor me like you did last time. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking he's got to be thirty-five. Both of you are doubling down on the 35. You know what? Fuck it. 35. We either win or we lose together. <laughs> well, you all lose, and you're not even close. Because let me tell you, Alexander Skarsgård is turning 46, and he looks great for 46. No, oh, we, we're all under. And we won. In 40s? Wow. We all yeah. tied. That's right. We all tied. Cause, yeah, but you weren't even close at the end of the day. <laughs> He's Stellan Skarsgård's son, and Stellan Skarsgård's getting up there in age, so that's not that surprising. But he just does not look 46 to me. All right, next up, Blake Lively. One of the ugliest people in the world, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> Probably most known as Justin Long's love affair in Accepted. <laughs> That's true. That's Fair when enough. I first discovered Blake Lively, let me say that. What's that movie she's in with Anna Kendrick from a few years ago that people really like? Simple Favor, that was good. Simple Favor, yeah. yeah. People love that movie. Blake Lively, obviously, stunningly beautiful and married to... Ryan stunningly, stunningly beautiful person. If you ask somebody to design the best looking couple in the world, it would probably be them. Blake Lively is 34. <laughs> I feel like she's my age. I'm going to go 39. 37. Uh, she is turning 35. Hey. So Kyle wins that one. So yeah, you had the 35s with Skarsgård, but uh, you were close enough to you get it. Happy birthday to all of those folks. Welcome to episode 69. This is, a, you know, for some people, they would consider this a milestone and a weird but cool moment. Cam's here for episode 69. That's a win. You know, victory for everybody involved. <laughs> 69. 69. So on episode 69, the actor choices that were thrown onto the wheel... The people that were not selected were Gina Rodriguez, Stephen Root, Chow Yun-Fat, 
Maya Wasikowska, but it doesn't matter because the wheel chose Kristen Schaal. Kristen's got a, over 130 credits on her IMDb. That's a little misleading. There's not a ton of movie credits on there. There's a lot of television, a lot of television. There's a lot of shorts, a lot of comedic shorts built in there. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, we're not going to hit all 130. We're going to hit the highlights, the ups and downs, the things we like, things we don't like, and everything in between. But before we get into it, we would normally toss it to James to do trivia. Since he is not here, he did do the trivia and sent it over to me. So I will do my best James D'Imperio impression here and lead us through a trivia exercise. So the way this works, Cam, you know this, but for those listening for the first time, I'm going to say three facts. Two of them are going to be true about Kristen Schaal. One of them will not be true and will be about one of the many illustrious actors, performers within the Fast and Furious film franchise. The, the idea here is that the Munsons have to figure out which one is the lie of the group. So fact number one. After a six-month stint working at a dog kennel in an animal hospital to make ends meet, she landed a job as a script reader for a production company which helped launch her career. Fact number two. Was fired from South Park a month after she was hired because she talked too much. <laughs> Fact number three. Once had a stand-up routine go so poorly that the audience encouraged a little girl to go up on stage and roast her, which the little girl did before she left the stage. Holy shit. What do you think? I mean, I, I hope the last two are true. That makes me laugh. That <laughs> Didn't we just have like the 25th anniversary or something of South Park? Yeah. 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 I, just last week. Part Free sounds like it might have been something more like Natasha Leggero or Sarah Silverman, I think. I think I heard something about that in her bio, but I could be wrong. I think her sense of humor is very self-deprecating, too. So I think one is the lie, and I think two and three are true. Yeah, I do, too. I don't know a Fast and Furious character that it's about. Okay. I hate to throw this out there, but I, I think James might have used this one in the past. And if I remember right, it was Michelle Rodriguez is number one. Okay. Not Kristen Shaw. <laughs> Cam, what do you think? Like I'm saying before, the lie has to be number three. I think I think that was some other comedian who got roasted by some rude patron. You know that that huge cast of comedians that play roles in the Fast and Furious franchise. Yes, hundred percent. Sarah Silverman's in a bunch of Fast <laughs> okay. and Furious movies. No, but seriously, I think it might have been some background actress. Okay, all right. Hey, you never know. We're 69 episodes in. James has to get creative with his trivia. We'll talk through which ones are true and which ones the lie. So the, the one that none of you guessed, number two, <laughs> that she was fired from South Park a month after she was hired because she talked too much. That is true. Wow. <laughs> it was early in her career. She'd never been in a writer's room before. It was a huge fan of the show being from Colorado. <laughs> uh, she didn't know how to contribute to a writer's room at the, this point in her career and just started pitching ideas. <laughs> After a month of not figuring out how to contribute, she was fired. Even though she was devastated at the time, obviously. I mean, that's one of the biggest shows in the world. She understands now why she was fired. And she said, obviously, I could do a writer's room now because she clearly has. But I was too nervous and too excited to be in there. I didn't know what I was doing. That's awesome. That is wild. I would have thought they would have got along pretty well with her. But I guess they're a different type of quirk. Um, fact number three that... She once had a stand-up routine go so poorly that the audience encouraged a little girl to go up on stage and roast her, which the little girl did before she left the stage. That is also true about Chris and Shaw. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> After about 30 minutes of a Comedy Central hour-long stand-up special, things started to go wrong. She told one joke about a lazy eye that didn't go so great, started asking for water, and nervously kept on saying words incorrectly, which ultimately derailed her. She left the stage, only to return to get heckled by a little girl who took over with three minutes of killer stand-up. 
She then spiraled out of control and had a big screaming fight backstage with her com- comedy partner that she's been with for a number of years. <laughs> However, the whole thing was scripted, and Shaw never broke character or let the audience know it was a joke paying homage to an idol of hers, Andy Kaufman. So if you guys have seen her uh, stand-up special on Paramount+, Plus, I think it's from 2013. Yeah. That's the bit in there. Like, Did you watch it, Craig? Watched it out and off. I saw her freaking out in the, in the uh, dressing room and breaking shit. So this little girl gets up there, and she's probably seven or eight. And I mean, she's like a professional stand-up at that point when she gets up there. She's just killing it. I, as soon as she came up there, I knew it was staged, because there's no way some little girl would be that good at doing what she's doing. Yeah. Very, very self-deprecatory and very awkward humor, which is definitely at the Kaufman angle. Makes a lot of sense. He loves Andy Kaufman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so fact number one, two of you guessed this correctly. So shout out to Rigby and Case. Um, after a six yes. month stint working at a dog kennel in an animal hospital, make ends meet, she landed a job as a script reader for a production company, which helped launch a career. This is not a Christian Shaw fact, but it is a fact about the now disgraced and alleged sexual predator, but formerly famous director of Triple X, Dragonheart, and the original Fast and the Furious, Rob Cohen. <laughs> I didn't know he was a sex predator, but wow. that makes sense to he, me. I didn't know he was, he was bad either. <laughs> he he uh, sucks. You know, that's different. <laughs> he also starred as the pizza delivery guy in that movie, too. So he was an mm-hmm. actor and director in that movie. <laughs> All right, Case. Snapshot and box office history. What do we got for? She doesn't have many movies on her resume, so I imagine this is going to be interesting. It's super inaccurate, man. There's just not enough <laughs> data. And in, in order to get enough data, I had to start pulling in movies that she just had such minimal roles in. Fake news. Her numbers actually line up pretty well. Surprisingly, she has the 21st average budget. Like I said, her average bud- film budget is 51.9 mil, but that's skewed because of the massive cartoon movies she's done. Critic ranking and fan ranking put her at 36 and 42nd, which is not a big surprise. Star meters, 32. Box office ranking, again, because of those movies, is actually pretty high at 13. <laughs> she's done pretty well because the big budget movies she's been in have made a shit ton of money and a lot of the low budget movies she's been in have also done very well so she actually ranks eighth and third in two different box office metrics overall she ranks 23rd and i thought that was pretty interesting wow very high for her but you're right the toy stories yeah it's not accurate (laughs) yeah it's very skewed she was in the movie i'm reviewing called all nighter and uh that movie grossed a whopping $96,000. Wow. I reached out to our uh, resident money guy and asked, what would 96000 get you? And James replied, Doris Day's 1930 Ford Model A Roadster at an auction. <laughs> Nailing it. I love that. She had two movies that should have done far better in the box office than they did, but they were both victims. The COVID shutdown. My Spy and Bill and Ted's. My Spy kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed, and then it got delayed into the COVID shutdown. Amazon just bought it after that. Warner Brothers just went ahead and put Bill and Ted on HBO Max. And so those two didn't do as well as they probably should have. But other than that, you know, her her box office is pretty predictable. Wow. I feel pretty confident making the call here. This might be the first time in Munson's history where I think I can guarantee that the Munson meter score will be lower than the box office numbers. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, ha- we'll have to see, won't we? We will. We will. All right. Thanks, Case. Yeah, man.
All right, so before we get into first major role, the early days of Chris and Shawl, we like to talk a little bit about their early lives and kind of what made them the person they are today. So as I mentioned earlier, Kristen is, she was born in Colorado on a cattle ranch, a very blue collar family. <laughs> so that's unique from a lot of other performers we've covered previously. She went to University of Colorado Boulder for a year and then transferred to Northwestern, graduated from Northwestern, got her degree there. Well, she was at Northwestern, I'm reading that she actually started taking an acting class, feeling a little bit unfulfilled out there. She actually started taking the train into Chicago every night and doing classes, improv classes at the Second City. And after graduation, her and nine other Northwestern students traveled to New York City for a two-day showcase. This led to Kristen landing her th a theatrical agent, commercial agent, and a manager. There you go. The whole Chicago scene kind of planted the seeds for her to do well in New York. Somebody had to pick up James's slack here, and I'm glad you did, because <laughs> that's normally where he would he would chime in with all that information. <laughs> he also would have said that she was a waitress at Planet Hollywood in Times Square <laughs> when she began her her stand up comedy career. You got to hustle. <laughs> you got to hustle. That the comedy life. You got to have it. You got to have a second job, a daytime job. So yeah, you do. Wow. <laughs> well, if you go to her Wikipedia, there's a huge chunk that just talks about all the comedy work she did in the 2000s. So there's a lot of improv. Okay. And this was when she's in New York City. A lot of improv, a lot of sketch comedy, um, and a lot of stand-up, grinding it on the stand-up side. So yeah, she might have been dabbling in Chicago, but really when she got to New York is where she fully embraced that com that like full-time comic lifestyle. That was her first film credit, or film and TV credit at that moment in her career. Her first film that she did was a pretty big film in Kate and Leopold from 2001. That's a movie we covered in the Natasha Leone episode. A lot of us really like the movie Enchanted, and this movie walked so Enchanted could run. Like, it's Hugh Jackman going, uh, kind of getting pulled out of the, the past uh, and falling for our girl. Kristen has a very short appearance at the end of the movie as basically, like, right. one of the ladies he's swooning and is supposed to marry in his timeline. I mean, technically, that probably would have qualified for first major role if we were going to do a film, but it's so brief. And I think that's a good indication of like the career that Kristen has had in film. So, again, try getting some work there. She was in the on the education of Max Bickford and from 01 to 02 did three episodes of that. So some small appearances. Again, lots of comedy in the 2000s. You're not going to find it on her Rotten Tomatoes, but she did make a brief appearance in 2007's Norbit as an event organizer. Probably intentional that it's not on her Rotten Tomatoes because that movie is atrocious. But here we are. <laughs> I did not watch it. I chose to spend my time elsewhere in more productive ways. I have only seen five seconds of it. And I have gone into endless conversations with friends who are convinced it's a great comedy. I have had to tell them how could anyone finish that movie, let alone watch it. <laughs> that movie cost uh, Eddie Murphy the Oscar in 2007. <laughs> for uh, Dreamgirls. Because it's so bad. Yeah. Oh. He was slotted to win for Dreamgirls, and then Norbit came out. <laughs> it's like, why would we give this guy the biggest award in the land yeah. when you put this pile? When you give us <laughs> something. <laughs> this pile of shit you just put into our hands. So, But what we're going to do for the first time in a long time, I think since episode 10, because Kristen's uh, most of her uh, famous career, the more famous role she's had, is in the television side, we're going to do first major role as a review of one of her first major characters on the tv side and that is her role as mel in flight of the concords and cam as our guest munson is going to get a chance to review this he drew the first major role category this time around so cam 
the floor is yours, my friend. Let's talk about Flight of the Concords and her role. This was definitely the first thing where she got on my radar because this was already a very quirky comedy and just everyone was digging just the very atypical mixture of musical comedy and just slacker day-to-day buddy comedy. And this is where we first see a lot of her comedy as a recurring TV character but she's also in a weird way kind of the audience's connection she's asking questions that they're thinking out loud and half of which are not appropriate <laughs> it's just it's just a funny mixture of being yeah. average joe mi- uh, mixed with a little bit of political incorrect and she just plays perfectly off the two lead characters and this was also where takiti with tt first got his start as a comedy writer and it still holds up i think the reason it's kind of a sleeper HBO show is it just kind of had a bit of a hiatus in between their comedy specials, but I still see people quote a lot of the characters, including Christian's character, as well as the music on here. And I totally recommend it to anyone. Yeah, she plays the band's like only fan and she is a stalker. Yeah. <laughs> she just wants to hang out and date them and do all the things. Uh, a thousand percent. That's what she does. I never seen this before and it was fascinating for me to watch some episodes because I know of Flight of the Concord's music because I've heard it and listened to a bunch of it. Yeah. So I've always really dug their music and I didn't realize that basically every episode there's a song or songs that are tied to the episodes. And so I was like, oh, that was cool. It's kind of like peeling back and connecting the dots on things you really didn't even understand before. So that was fun for me. Nice. You know, this show came out before HBO was equipped to make really big pushes on projects because if this show came out now they would be able to do such a great social media campaign to push this show and i I just remembered every time i watched this show i was floored at how entertained it was it was hard to find sometimes with the platform they have now if this show came out today and it was new it would be a much bigger hit than it was in 2007, 8, and 9. And I think the connection here that's important to note is the Taika and Jemaine Clement connection because she's worked with them a bunch of times in her career after that. So you think, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about what we do in the shadows. We're going to talk about all, our flag means death. So big time shows that have come years and years later from those guys. And it's clear that they respect her and they keep bringing her back to play characters in their shows and in their movies. Yeah, and I think one of the things that this show provided for her was the ability to prove that she could be an endearing, quirky character that audiences wanted to see every week. Mm -hmm. That'll pay off huge, especially when we start talking about The Last Man on Earth. Big time. Set the table for the rest of her TV career. Um, That that other show that came around in 08, uh, The Daily Show, she was a correspondent on The Daily Show. I mean, talk about giving you an even bigger audience to your humor. Yeah. Alongside Jon Stewart. I mean, obviously, Jon Stewart still captured the hearts of people today, right? Up at up at Congress fighting for legislation. This was back when the show was still funny. Ouch. <laughs> You're out, right? Back at back in the day. Not just funny, but this show like shaped the conversation. Like it was yeah. John Stewart was a legend. And back when we could have this conversation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like who are the other correspondents? So obviously John Oliver came, Ed Helms, yeah. Chris and Sean. Like think of the careers that were launched. Rob Riggle. Yep. So many careers, comedy careers, are launched by being correspondents of the Daily Show. Yeah. 
Cordry mm-hmm. and Smear the Beast. Lewis Black. Oh, Lewis Black, too. I love Lewis Black. Good grief. Yeah, Dimitri Martin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So quite quite the legend there of, of joining that little rat pack of folks. According to DefinitiveDose.com, she ranks 18th as one of the greatest Daily Show correspondents and contributors. I believe it. I'll give you the top five. Stephen Colbert's one. Steve Carell, two. John Oliver, three. Samantha B, four. Larry Wilmore, five. Oh, yeah. Two others that had their own shows. Samantha B and Larry Wilmore. Right. Came from that. Mm-hmm. What a launch! I guess I never thought about how much of a launching pad Daily Show was for those for comedians. Ed like Holmes on on Grief. Ryan's recent Office podcast did explain how when when he took that gig uh, on Daily Show, most of them were all in the same mindset of, "Hey, we can leave whenever we want." You know, we got enough exposure and we made enough yep. time on the clock. We can pursue other projects. You know, we, we already got that on our resume. Everyone's already going to instantly give us a look, regardless of how much we got on our reel. In her interview with Larry King, she talked about this show and she said how Jon Stewart, he wouldn't give her notes. He would work through the bits and the productions with her and kind of help her see these things through. And she was like, it just helped me so much more than getting notes from somebody. It was great to have him do that. And so if you think about that, he probably did that with most of these performers. He, I mean, he's helped so many people hone their craft to such <laughs> yes, a high level. Grandfather of comedy. It's, it's wild. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. That's awesome. So she got her start, fly to the Concords, really let the world know who she was as like this quirky comedian who can come in and be a supporting character. And then Daily Show just get, raises her status to a huge audience, especially comedy fans. Two biggies early on. Let's flip back to the movie side. She makes a brief appearance as stewardess Stacy in The Goods, Live Hard, Sell Hard. <laughs> a very offensive movie, but never fails to make me laugh, including <laughs> the rewatch for this episode. <laughs> Rigby, I know you love this movie. Charles Napier is so funny in this movie. I love <laughs> Charles Napier. Oh, my God. And you covered this on the Craig Robinson episode. Never. Yep. Okay. She is on. So she's the stewardess on the plane that Jeremy Piven convinces to let let him smoke cigarettes uh, in the plane. So sells really? her. And then, then it just turns into a whole party. So yeah, she just plays the character who's like being captivated by him as he's going through his sales job. But <laughs> I would recommend for anybody listening, go listen to our Craig Robinson episode. It's by far our funniest episode to start to finish. Yeah. And we spent a lot of time talking about DJ request played by Craig Robinson, which is one of his best characters ever. It's so fucking funny. I know James loves it as the guy would be like, Hey, play this song. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he plays the exact opposite. But again, more Ed Helms there. There's there's a lot of the folks we've talked about. Another movie we talked about a long time ago, we've talked about a few times, uh, Cirque de Freak, the vampire's assistant. She plays Gertha Teeth, one of like the freak show performers alongside Ken Watanabe and Willem Dafoe. A kick-ass name, by the way. Gertha Teeth. <laughs> Gertha Teeth. Could you guess that she might have huge teeth? I would imagine no? so, yes. Couldn't figure that out? Oh my god. Not a misleading name at all. A movie we've never talked about, and it's honestly shocking, because all these, like, holiday movies where they try to connect, like, six different storylines, I feel like we've hit all of them except for Valentine's Day. (laughs) So it's shocking it took us 69 episodes to hit this movie, because it has so many big-time actors in it. But she plays Miss Gilroy in one very short scene in that movie. (laughs) But we finally have hit Valentine's Day, boys, 69 episodes in. I'm shocked. If I saw it, it was for a split second. And I said, TBS, you are not my friend tonight. <laughs> and you would have missed Kristen because it is so quick in this movie. 
another really small role, but in a movie that I particularly love is Get Him to the Greek. He plays the Today Show production assistant, and I I could rewatch that movie all the time. I love the soundtrack. It's hilarious. <laughs> Get Him to the Greek is funny. I'll give you that. It's got really good ratings, too. It's yeah. got like a 70 meta score or mm-hmm. something like that. For a comedy, that's all. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's high. Forgetting Sarah Marshall is just so funny, though. So Craig loves a good author, and she became an author in 2010. Yes, I do. She wrote a book with her future husband. They weren't married at the time, but the book is called The Sexy Book of Sexy Sex, <laughs> and <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> I was watching an interview with her and uh, Anthony Jeselnik, and I honestly, I thought she was joking. When she talked about the book? Because he said, you and your husband wrote a book. And she said, yeah, it's the sexy book, the sexy sex. And then, <laughs> you know, and she's so dry and she's so deadpan. I thought she was joking. And then they went in and talked about it. I'm like, that is not a joke. She really wrote that. Didn't they meet when they were working on The Daily Show together? I think so. Sounds about right. A couple more animated projects here. Again, small roles, but this is what balloons her box office up so much. Yeah. Wreck Forever After, she played the Pumpkin Witch and the Palace Witch alongside Cameron Diaz and Craig Robinson. I mean, Cam talked about it earlier. She works with Craig Robinson a lot. That's by far her <laughs> most frequent collaborator. But it makes sense. They're both comedians that are in comedies. Yeah. So you're, they're going to be in a lot of movies together. And then Toy Story 3, which, you know, a lot of, made a lot of people cry towards the end because they thought the world was ending. Uh, she plays Trixie, who is one of Bonnie's toys. Not to be confused with Bonnie Hunt's voice, who is also lent to Toy Story. Right three and four as well she plays if you don't know trixie that's the dinosaur not a major role she used to have that triceratops as her imdb photo and i was like well that's funny and all but (laughs) that doesn't show the people who you look like (laughs) it's about it's about the 12th or 13th most important character in the (laughs) toy story 3 movie that is funny man but she made the cut and we've got a bonnie hunt crossover so there you go 2010 another small role in dinner for schmucks alongside chris o'dowd a movie, again, that makes me laugh every time I watch it. Chris O'Dowd plays a blind swordsman. His character's so fucking funny <laughs> in that movie. She's Her her character's, like, in The Office. It's a pretty, like, vanilla character, but right. obviously Steve Carell is phenomenal in that role. Yep, so. another Daily Show connection. And it's another one where I think if it wasn't a remake of a movie, more people would admire it for what it is. I do think Jay uh, Roach does pretty good, like he does on the Austin Powers movies, with letting everyone have their moment yeah. in the camera without everyone hogging each other's scenes. And But yeah, another Jermaine Clement connection here, too, because he plays kind of the uh, antagonist of the right. <laughs> So. A brief appearance as the moderator in The Muppets, 2011, alongside Emily Blunt. She's in the anger management scene with Jack Black and Animal, because they're trying to reform Animal from being so fucking angry. <laughs> they won't let him drum. Like, he can't even say drum, because that's his trigger word. And she's the one running the management <laughs> group in that scene. That is funny. 2011's a big year, though, because she starts her run as Louise Belcher on Bob's Burgers, but I want to hold that because we're going to do a full review of the Bob's Burgers movie. So let's let's save our thoughts on that now. That way we don't take away Rigby's thunder and he can really get into why Louise Belcher is her probably most famous character. Starts that in 2011, still going in 2022, so longest running, 237 episodes. Wow. So this is probably her best moneymaker at the end of the day. 30 Rock. I didn't. I was shocked to learn that she did 39 episodes of 30 Rock over five years between 2012 and 2016. I wish Shane was here because I know he loves 30 Rock. 
I had no idea what her character's name was. I'm just reading it. Hazel was her name. Yeah. <laughs> was her name? Yeah. This is like the third thing I saw her in, and well, once again, she was basically upstaging Tina Fey and everybody, just getting in everyone's face. <laughs> I've never really seen much of Thirty Rock, so I don't. What's her character like? Her name is hilarious, but she's a page at Thirty Rock, uh, <laughs> and she used to date. She used to date Kenneth, who's like known as like oh, the, yeah. the famous page in the show. Yes, yeah, so. perfect yeah. couple, yeah. by the way. Gets on everyone's nerves. Yeah, <laughs> he's a really flamboyant one, right? The with blonde mm-hmm. hair. Okay, got it. Yep. All right, I know enough to kind of follow along. But that's a big again, another huge show there in the 2010s, and it wasn't just like three or four episodes. She did damn near 40 episodes of that show. Yeah, in front of audiences. I will say she's not like a. You know, she'll have like one scene in an episode. It's it's really yeah. small, but still, yeah, that's they. She kept coming back. So, <laughs> returning character, the twelfth or thirteenth most important character in the show, but still coming back and getting that paycheck, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Twenty twelve, she gets married. So the guy she wrote the sexy sex book with, Rich Blomquist. They get married in twenty twelve. Still happily married to this day. Shout out to you. Only one marriage in. Other performers we've covered are on three or four. So killing it. 2013, though, is when she released her first comedy special, which was live at the Fillmore. And this is the act with the stunt with the little girl. Yeah. It's an interesting one to sit there. It is certainly not a typical stand-up special. You don't go for the jokey jokes. She has a very unique brand. And she's so dry, and, and the rhythm is different. Yep. Like you said, if you're there for the jokes, then you're probably not going to enjoy it as much if you're there to be entertained and just along for the ride. Yeah, if you appreciate a more theatrical show yeah. in nature, then it's probably up your alley. If you're looking for stand-up, tell the jokes, talk about your life, this is not for you. This could be autobiographical story she told about the pot and the spoon. Oh, yeah. What I took from that is she was dating a guy who left her for another guy. Mm-hmm. The pot left oh. the spoon for the lid. <laughs> she went all in on that story. I will say, she's. you guys, someone mentioned earlier, she's very self-deprecative. And she mentioned, like, she's talking about her act and how it's not relatable. And she called it a surreal brand of whimsy (laughs) in the middle of her show. But I was like, that's a perfect summation of her comedy, a surreal brand of whimsy. And does that make sense to people? Probably not. But I think it sums it up pretty well of the type of experience you get. Apt description for sure. I understand why she didn't get like a bunch of Chris Rock with a bunch of other stand up specials after that, because it's such a niche comedic target so it makes sense. i think her strength as a performer is in the episodic appearances of just seeing her in multiple episodes multiple roles and, and i think that's probably why she hadn't done a lot with movies either and not a lot of specials she grows on you yep. and and you start liking her and that's why she's done so well in all of these shows yep well, and having an improv background definitely can help you out in that you just keep going yeah even if it doesn't work, yep. you acknowledge each other, you go, go, go. Yes, and Right. <laughs> Instead of relying yeah. on one other person to carry the show, you, she's not worried about whether or not anyone else is giving it 100%. She's giving it her all. Agreed. That makes sense to me. Another movie that shot up the box office scores, she's in a Despicable Me movie, Despicable Me 2. She plays Shannon. She plays one of Gru's dates in the movie, and it's like an over-the-top <laughs> woman who's you know kind of all up in his business. But that's more than a cameo. The, the the character actually plays a larger role towards the end of the film. So um, another big animated movie with a huge following. And obviously, Gru Rise of Minions came out recently and cleaned up at the box office. So 
still chugging along that brand. Kyle, to your point on Despicable Me in the box office, this one actually surprised me because it was only a $76 million budget. I say only. But for those animated films like that, they're usually way higher than that. And this thing world grossed $971 million off of a $76 million budget. Jesus. That's some cheddar right there, boys. <laughs> That'll make up for any losses in the box office for your profile very quickly. Yeah. When you're doing times like 12 or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. 11.78. That's impressive. It, it goes to show she's picking big time animated voice roles. Yeah. In movies there. They're making a lot of money. Well, and, and she's tailor made, right? Because her voice is so unique and it's so effortless. And here's my thought on her voice. And I, I was going to say this in my months and meter part. Her voice is a double edged sword because it is so unique that it fits very well with animated voice roles. And she can go in and she's not like a lazy film actor who comes in and they're just putting a name to a project. She's going to actually do the voice acting well and give you good inflection, kind of rise, give you something different. Versus that voice is so unique that I think it restricts her ability to be a lead in film projects. She knows that. And she's oh, yeah. she's talked about in an interview. She recognizes my voice is my best tool and my worst enemy. Yeah. So it's fascinating. She made a joke about herself and they were like, if you could trade places with anybody in history, who would it be? And she named some famous silent film actress because she's like, that'd be easy for me. I could just go and be in those movies and my voice wouldn't bother anybody. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Gilbert Gottfried because it'd be about the same. <laughs> that's way worse. That's way worse. Yeah, that's that's an insult to Christian Shaw. Sorry. <laughs> Too soon. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Rest in peace, Gilbert. Rest in peace, Gilbert. Oh man. Gravity Falls, though, if you go to her IMDb, that is the number one credit on her profile. She played Mabel, 2013 to 2014, 15 episodes. Not a huge run, but it's an entertaining show, and it has a very unique animation style that I like. Well, another animated film in there, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2, played Barb. She plays kind of the, the ape sidekick to the antagonist, the baddie, who ends up turning by the end of the movie. And she's delightful in it. Her character has a redemption arc that's really fun in the right up your alley, right, Rigby? And at this point, she's worked with all the three major animation companies, basically. <laughs> they all got, got her agent's number, so she joins the ensemble. Good point on that. Very good point. <laughs> So she plays Carol in The Last Man on Earth, 66 episodes, four seasons. This was my favorite thing I watched with Chris and Shaw. I'd never seen it before, and I kind of hate all of you that you didn't <laughs> tell me to watch this because this humor is right up my alley. I love this show. I'm, I'm halfway through season three. Season three is meh, but seasons one and two are so good, what's, man. What's it on? Fox? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hulu. Hulu. It yeah. was on Fox, and now it's on Hulu. I would always see clips of it after like raising hope or mindy project but i I was never able to make time for it uh why do you think everyone's kind of half and half on it some people think it's the funniest thing in the world and others were just like it went downhill i think it's the style of comedy yeah it's will forte's comedy um so for those who listening who haven't seen the last man on earth the concept and why i love it so much will forte is the last man on earth after a virus outbreak the first person he runs into is Chris and Shaw's character. And so you as the viewer are like, <laughs> if they're the last two, they got to populate, right? That's right. And, but Chris and Shaw's character is hilarious in that for her to have sex with someone, she has to marry them. So he has to marry her, right? They have to do their own marriage ceremony. And then <laughs> the way the show is set up, especially that first season, is every time something good is about to happen to Will Forte's character, the wrench gets thrown in. So in this case, <laughs> 
He gets married to her. He thinks he's good. Yep. And then January Jones shows yep. up, this beautiful blonde hair character. <laughs> and he's like, fuck, I want to I want to bang her. And Christian Shaw is like this annoying woman. I'm stuck with her. And then he's just about to convince her. He does this whole pity party thing to have sex with both of them. He pretends like oh, we don't want our kids to bang each other. So we got I have to have kids with both of you. And he's just about to do it. And then Todd shows up, this other guy. And then these two other women, played by Mary Steenberg and, and the Australian actress, I don't know her name. They're like, are you the only one here? And he, he goes, yep. You could see this moment because he's a he's just a liar. He's like, no, it's just me. Because he's like, fuck, I'm going to bang these two women. <laughs> and just when he's about to bang these two women, the other Phil shows up. So like, it's just every time you're like, oh, man, he's finally going to do it because he's been lying his way out of it. And then the worst possible situation happens. So he goes from thinking... You know, I got to be with Christian Shaw because I got to save humanity. Next thing you know, there's a whole cadre of people and he's stuck with this woman. Uh, but by the end of season two, he like they they become like chummy and love each other and are an actual relationship. But it's just so funny to watch his character lose its mind. Nice. <laughs> the best part about Melissa, the second girl, the hot blonde, is that he <laughs> orchestrates this incredibly elaborate situation when they're going to make love. And it's highlighted by him playing a guitar chord that launches a firework. And this guy happens to be driving to Tucson and he's driving around Tucson looking for him and he sees the fireworks. So he just starts driving towards the fireworks and he interrupts before they get going. <laughs> As he, he goes, he's grabs the guitar. He goes, no, no, no. And he plays the chord, the fireworks shirt up. And then there's a voiceover that says, you're welcome for the orgasm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's a ridiculous show, and it, it's a dark show at times, too. Will Ferrell's character gets introduced, and ten minutes later, he's dead. He shows up, they show him on the, the beach, and no, man, no more than ten minutes later, he's dead. <laughs> and they bury him. Two Christian Shaw notes here. Number one, uh, Mary Steenbergen introduced Christian Shaw to her one of her idols, Hillary Clinton. Oh, wow. Really? Mary Steenbergen... Grew up in Arkansas, family friends with Bill Clinton. And so they went to an event together. And since they worked on that show, she's like, can you introduce me to her? And she's like, yeah, of course I can. I'm friends with them. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> the other thing, I think it's hard to imagine this this show being pulled off by a different actor. Oh, yeah. She's great in that role. She's perfect. She's perfect. She's very understated. She's very emotive. And, and she's really efficient in communicating to the audience. She, she's telling us how we should feel. I was trying to think of who else could have played this role as well, and I, I couldn't come up with anybody. And that's not easy to do, you know, just from a screenwriting perspective, let alone a performing and interpreting it. It's like, yeah. it, often if you tell the viewer how you're feeling, you know, you're introducing all these different plot arcs, and if you're having to also remind him to laugh, you know, that's so much responsibility there. You're right, Case, because she has to be annoying, like inspirational, and empathetic like there's so many elements to it that they're required to make the, the show go so for example and you mentioned this case via text how prophetic was oh, this show scary as hell 2014 <laughs> there's a virus in the year 2020 that has wiped out everyone and they're trying to develop a vaccine i was like that's literally what's going on yeah. right now and the the title screen says year 2020 and then in parentheses it says or one year after the virus bananas and you're like come on wow and she directed one episode of the show. I don't remember which one, but this is her one directing cred as in the entertainment industry. So that's important to note as well. Uh, same year, she was in the Weird Al tacky video. 
Yeah. Which I love. Go check it out if you're a fan of it. Making fun of Pharrell's happy and yep. it just Jack Black appears, Aisha Tyler shows up, and she even made fun of it in an interview. I grab my tits while singing with Ronald, but yeah, she's got like pink hands over her boobs yeah, on the shirt she's wearing. Cr- Very tacky. Yeah, Christian joins in and the chorus, and it's a fun quick video yeah it's a quick three minutes but it's fun if you like weird al that's a good connection that's gonna give me a bonus point if you're doing a weird al video <laughs> oh yeah her only like legitimate awards nomination and when i say legitimate i mean we're talking like the big bodies emmys grammys oscars golden globes stuff like that the only thing of note is her emmy nom for her guest roles in bojack horseman Ooh. She did 14 episodes that between 2014 and 2020. This is it. Oh, that's with Allison Brie, right? Yes, I think so. Allison Brie, Rami Malek. There's a bunch of them we've covered. The two of them would be a dynamic and very entertaining comedy duo in a movie. I agree. I agree. Important note, her one awards love out there is a guest role, a guest appearance on a TV show. So I think it's just important to note. Which Warren would love. Yes, we know he's a big fan. That's automatic point reduction on his side. Just getting it would reduce it. The last movie we'll talk about before lowest critic score is A Walk in the Woods 2015, a movie that we reviewed in the Emma Thompson episode. Robert Redford, Nolte, they go on a backpacking, hiking trip together and it's a, like a buddy movie. On the Appalachian Trail, yeah. Yep. She plays a know-it-all solo hiking asshole and she's really fun yeah, i actually enjoy her in, in that role she won't shut up at night they like want to murder her because she just keeps talking and singing <laughs> when they're trying to sleep yeah so fully aggravating kyle do you think she was harnessing her experience at the south park writing uh, this is a biography for <laughs> sure yeah <laughs> the funny story i saw about this she did an interview i think it was with colbert and she was talking about on, it was Mother's Day. She was on set and she was talking to her mom and Nick Nolte was there. And so she was doing an impression of Nick Nolte. And he's like, tell your mom I said happy Mother's Day. And she's like, would you mind talking to him? Like, because you're Nick Nolte. And he gets on there and he's like, hey, hello. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, okay. Well, I, I hope you have a good one. And he hands it back and goes, here you go. Your mom thinks I'm Gary Busey. <laughs> I think I did hear about that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my God. I was like, well, I get that. They both have really iconic voices, really deep, like, smokers' voices. So, makes sense. Hey, she nailed this role, by the way. She did. Oh, 100%. Crushed it. I mean... <laughs> she was in the movie for what? Maybe maybe seven minutes? Definitely five. She yeah. annoyed me after 30 seconds? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm never going to walk the Appalachian Trail just in case someone like her shows up. I'm good. Hard pass. <laughs> All right, lowest critic score is 2017's All Nighter, and Case has it. <laughs> Before I get started, I just wanted to say that uh, my review tonight is dedicated to Mike Rodemaker, and I'll explain at the end. All Nighter is a movie about a hippie musician named Martin, who at the start of the movie is dating Ginny, a sophisticated, well-off daughter of Mr. Gallo. While having dinner with Mr. Gallo, he aptly compares Martin to Kermit the Frog because he plays banjo in a band. Ripper. As one could guess, the dinner ends abruptly as Martin spills his drink on the intimidating Mr. Gallo, played by J.K. Simmons. Fast forward six months, Martin and Ginny have been broken up, but Mr. Gallo shows up at Martin's door looking for his daughter. Needing to find his daughter, Mr. Gallo asks Martin where he can find her. Due to vague directions and really no idea where to look, Mr. Gallo convinces Martin to help track Ginny down. To further illustrate the differences between Martin and Mr. Gallo, he tells Martin to drive, since he knows where they're going, and throws him the key. Martin misses the keys, 
tells Gallo he doesn't drive, and errantly throws the keys back, hitting the car. This kicks off a wild ride through Los Angeles looking for Ginny. The first stop is at Kristen Schull's house, where she informs Mr. Gallo that her boyfriend wanted to have sex with his daughter and Martin's ex. The rest of the movie explores the nature of Gallo's job, his relationship with his daughter, while being set against the backdrop of a bar fight, breaking and entering into an apartment, getting chased by the police, and ultimately getting arrested. Anybody know why this is dedicated to Rodemaker? Because it's in L.A.? Nope. I don't. Why? (laughs) I, I wrote my review tonight based on the trailer. Of the movie. The tra- I'm watching the trailer in the background, and it's right on. 100%, dude. It. Nice. <laughs> oh, shit. So summing up this movie, it's a 2017 comedy starring Emil Hirsch, J.K. Simmons, and several side characters, including Kristen Schaal. Schaal plays the friend of Ginny, who she first went and lived with after breaking up with Martin. She has a bunch of well, really well-delivered lines and plays her part on the edge of like the kind of dominating and, and angry girlfriend really, really well. Honestly, outside of J.K. Simmons, I, he's great in there, and she's really the only other character that I enjoyed watching, including Emil Hirsch, who's the star of the movie. This was the lowest critic with 17%. I don't know if I'd go that low, but it certainly is in the ballpark for me. So It's not a 7%. I'd give it like 35, something like that. Yeah, it, it's easily a 40%. It's forgettable, but it's well-intended on paper. But it, yeah, I, I think when I prepped for the Dennis Haysbert episode, I encountered Christian in Welcome to the Jungle, and that wasted everyone's talent. So I would say, Ooh, yeah, that was by far. I took, I took that off the freaking show notes, but welcome back to that herd of a movie. It was so bad. It was like Black Dynamite, but not <laughs> sure whether to dedicate to being a spoof or just Terrible. bad, bad. But yeah, it's like, I feel like All Nighter, uh, you know, what A Walk in the Woods did so well was knowing how to kind of venture from place to place and time everything well without overstaying its welcome. I feel like this did the opposite, and I feel like J.K. Simmons and Shaw and some of the other actors are really only here just to attract investors, not because, you know, that's what the filmmakers had in mind. The only thing this movie had going for it was it played Night Moves two and a half times, and I give the half oh to the uh, bluegrass version that they played at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it finishes with him performing night moves yeah. on stage. So that was cool. I was like, at least there's night moves. Bob Seger's tough to get licensing from, so somehow they were able to get yeah. that movie to use his song three times. That's a really good karaoke song. Uh, I haven't heard the bluegrass version, so I sh- I'm interested to hear that. It wasn't bad. That wasn't bad. Emil Hirsch formed a band with the people that he played in this movie with. Oh. Something good came out of it. They formed a band with the same name that was in the movie. That's cool. It's crazy that something, like you said, Cam, something real came out of this movie. That's pretty cool. The largest critic app is the same year. So there's only one project in between I want to mention, and that is literally right before Aaron. So this is literally right before Captain Underpants. And it's a movie with Louise Guzman, very brief appearance. In this movie, Justin Long gets invited to his ex's wedding <laughs> and is going through an emotional roller coaster when it comes to that. And he decides to bring a date who is Kristen Shaw, who is this very awkward woman who wears a lot of blush. <laughs> she makes dolls. She's a doll maker for a profession. So they hired her to just be awkward and weird and to create this like tension at the wedding, essentially. So it's not a great movie. I wouldn't call it that, but it's got some indie charm to it. That's good. I'm I'm not going to give it a high recommendation, but I don't think it's a complete waste of time. Nice. But 
Largest critic app is Captain Underpants, the first epic movie. And that is my review this time. <laughs> and guys, let me tell you, there was a time when I was excited about 8 Mile. There was a time when I was excited about other reviews. And I'm just as excited that I got to do Captain Underpants, the first epic movie. <laughs> All right. I don't know about you guys. As a 1988 baby who grew up in the 90s, I used to frequent the Captain Underpants books all the time. I would read the books. I always loved the little spelling changes they would do on signs to mess with words. I always thought that was hilarious. I tried to do it at the local church near my house whenever I could because I thought that was funny. Captain Underpants, a lot of poop humor. So definitely for young kids, young boys. Oh, yeah. And they would they'd always have those really cool flipperamas. We could flip through and tell a story. I always loved that. I thought that was really fun. I was also a degenerate as a child, so that made sense <laughs> for me. This is not the first time I've seen this. I saw this in 2017 when it came out. So this is a rewatch. I give it a seven on the initial, and I'm probably in the same ballpark, six and six to seven, because I think it captures enough of the, the original spirit. But the story revolves around two characters, George and Harold, two young boys. They are notorious pranksters. In the movie, uh, their principal, Mr. Krupp, who is voiced by Ed Helms, the, the two boys are voiced by Kevin Hart and Thomas Middleditch. Mr. Krupp's not a big fan of them, and he's going to split them from hanging out and being in the same classes. And they don't like that idea. So they're trying to figure out how to fix that. And they pull out this little like hypnotizer ring from a box of cereal, thinking it's just like casual, not realizing that it has some actual hypnosis powers to it. So they hypnotize their principal, Mr. Krupp, into thinking he is the superhero, Captain Underpants. And every time they flip their finger, he turns into Captain Underpants. Every time he gets hit with water, he turns back into the principal. And so there's this funny scene where they just literally keep going back and forth just to mess with him. Great voice cast for the most part. Like I said, Hart, Middle Ditch, Helms, Nick Kroll actually was like the first voice actor for DreamWorks in since like 2012 to get an actual like decent award nomination for his role. He plays Professor Poopy Pants, <laughs> who is the evil genius science teacher who gets hired on the worst resume of all time in this movie. So he's he's the standout voice acting wise. And so I think he earned his award. And you've got Brian Posen, Stanley from The Office is in this. I challenge anybody to not smile when they hear the name Poopy Pants. That's <laughs> a Poopy Pants. It's the funniest name in the world, <laughs> Professor Poopy Pants. Come on. Kristen Shaw plays Edith, who is the school's cook. And Edith and Mr. Crop have a little flame going on early in the movie. What is really cool about her character and for her as a voice actor in many different animated projects, is in this movie, she has a very deep voice, an extremely deep voice, and is very unlike Interesting. her other voice roles. You would not, if you didn't know it was her, there's a good chance you would have not realized it was Kristen Shaw voicing the character. It's actually one of the few times you couldn't immediately recognize her voice in a voice role. So that, that was interesting. But despite all of the poop puns in this movie... There's an important lesson here about the importance of laughter and why humor matters because Professor Poopy Pants doesn't like laughter and he wants to basically adjust, change the brain chemistry of every kid. And that is his whole plan in this movie, using toilets and things like that. So it is a silly, stupid movie, but it's entertaining. And as somebody who really enjoyed it as a kid, I thought it captured the essence of the original pretty well. The sort of Christian Shaw again, seventh build. Seventh or eighth build in the story. Not a huge character, but enough to like play a role with Mr. Krupp, who played Captain Underpants. I haven't seen this, but I did read the books like you. <laughs> they were they were a godsend. 
<laughs> Stupid adolescent humor, but I was there for it. It was either that or the stinky cheese, man. <laughs> so I would have liked to see some other types of voice actors. I think it would have elevated the project a little bit because I'm like, you can't sell them as eight-year-old kids or whatever these kids are in the movie. It's just the voice doesn't match perfectly. But the way they do the Nick Kroll's Professor Poopy Pants storyline is pretty compelling. And they fit they fit just enough of the original like poop puns and things like that that, ma- that made Captain Underpants such a hit. So I think it does pretty job. Nice. I know you guys are probably uh, slightly upset, like tired of me talking, but since James isn't here <laughs> and he had largest audience gap, and there's no other projects in between, I'm gonna go straight into largest audience gap, which is Austin Found from 2017 another craig robinson crossover it is a 50 50 movie once again everyone's playing on candy characters it's watchable but it's kind of ho-hum overall but yeah yeah huge audience gap here 78 to 21 um, one of the bigger ones we've seen in a long time audiences like really liked it at a 78 and critics freaking hated it at a 21 <laughs> the premise is linda carnalini plays a mom who's like fed up with her boring lifestyle she to this sounds so silly but this is what she decides to do to kind of upend that and to put herself back in the spotlight and help out with her financial problems, she decides to stage a kidnapping of her daughter and asks one of her old lovers, played by Skeet Ulrich, and his friend, played by Craig Robinson, to essentially kidnap their daughter. But really, that means just like stash her away in a cabin in the woods with the two of them <laughs> and basically stay off the radar until I can play out this whole media frenzy enough to get some money out of this and then we'll bring her back. So the world doesn't know what happened. <laughs> what happens chaos because Skeet Ulrich is fucking unhinged. <laughs> she lies to him and says that her current husband is beating her. So he's losing his mind and he's unhappy that she's not showing enough affection to him. And all the while Craig Robinson is the worst kidnapper of all time. He is, becomes best friends with this girl ends up taking his mask off. And it's just like besties with her. Kristen plays Nancy, the pesky reporter trying to take Linda down. They went to high school together. <laughs> she is not a, never a huge fan of her. So she's skeptical of her story from the jump. I will say this. It's one of her meteor film roles that I've seen is driving the plot, plot along here to catch this woman in the act of being a, a real piece of shit. <laughs> the final scene is actually really cool. I think I talked about it in the Craig Robinson episode. Craig Robinson has a chance to own up to the fact that you know, this was all staged publicly in front of the cameras and he doesn't. So they everybody's on the same page, including their daughter. And then they go to like Oprah or something like that. And the last scene is her standing up. They're introducing her and her daughter and, and her daughter stands up. And the last line of the movie is my mother kidnapped me. And then it cuts to dark. And I love that. I, I, I remember I was like, that's such a cool way to end the movie because you're like, oh, shit. She decided to screw up the lie. How messier could it be? <laughs> it's right. Even more WTF. Whoa. <laughs> I respect that. That was a, that was a cool choice. But otherwise, it's a fun supporting cast. Jamie Presley, Patrick Warburton, John Daly again, who she's worked with a bunch. Chris Parnell. So small indie film. Not bad. Somewhere in the 40 to 50 range. Chris Parnell's hilarious. He is. Yeah. Here we are. So that's a lot of me talking. <laughs> I'm going to toss it back to you guys as we kind of round this thing out. So we got a couple more years before we hit highest critic. Uh, she had her daughter, Ruby, in 2018, Congrats. so became a mother. She had some pregnancy issues in 2017. I know she had an ectopic pre- pregnancy as well, mm. so I know there's a lot of conversation in this world today about abortion and things like that, so she's dealt with her own fertility issues. Seems to be happy as a mom. 
Yeah. Toy Story 4, the sequel, 2019, returned as that character as Trixie, and then in 2019 started another one of her big TV show roles, and that's on What We Do in the Shadows. She plays the guide in 13 episodes. <laughs> All the way into uh, season four, which literally releases a, a new episode tonight. You love this show, don't you, Kyle? One of my favorite shows. Yeah. I'm, I will be watching it probably like midday lunch tomorrow. Wow. It is a hoot. At a certain point in the show, Naja and Nandor take over the Vampiric Supreme Council. She's the one who kind of manages the whole operation behind the scenes. But she just shows up. She's She'll appear out of nowhere. So she just scares the shit out of people the entire show. They're paying attention. They turn around and Kristen Shaw's right behind them. A lot more shock value there. Yep. By season four, she's they're running a nightclub with all of little Kristen Shaw's, all of her minions and things like that. And so she's like negotiating wages for her minions. So it's hard to tell the full story of her character. But I love the show and I love that she's in it and she's excellent as the guide. I wonder if she'll pop up in the spinoff that they got coming out. What's the spinoff? They have a spinoff. I think it's was in the works at HBO Max, but it might be resorting back to FX, uh, where it's focusing on some of the supporting cop characters and all the wacky other off-colored characters they encounter. <laughs> Definitely watch it. That show's incredible. <laughs> My Spy, the movie that Craig talked about earlier, not getting the theatrical release. She plays Bobby, essentially tech support for Dave by character in this movie where he essentially gets tricked by a young girl and has to work with a young girl to tackle this, this these crime bosses and whatnot. Kid-friendly version of Kindergarten Cop and yeah. True Lies. Yep. Kristen doesn't really get to do as much comedy, but it's kind of just cool to just see her in here again, just being as part of the trio. Yeah, she's funny. Like, because she really shouldn't be out doing field work like that, but she seems to have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. The dryness just was very needed for this kind of movie. And I think at this point, everyone was just getting so depressed that movies being delayed. They're like, just give us the apples right now. <laughs> Her and the little girl basically play the foil to Dave Bautista's like super macho ness. So they basically just tear him down the whole movie for being a klutz. Yeah. It's a, I actually enjoyed it. I, I watched a while back. It was fun. I didn't mind it. It's a little bit early in Batista's career. Even though the character is supposed to be awkward and clumsy, he's still a little bit rigid as a performer. You compare that with what he did in the show later for Netflix, and it's off the chart. I mean, when he's... I do agree. He is like Momoa, where his earlier appearances were very hampered by lesser scripts and not really knowing what to do as a performer, and now he's slowly kind of learning the Dwayne Johnson way of... Hey, you know, smile, have a fun time. You know? <laughs> no, Bill and Ted face the music. The other movie Craig talked about, she plays a pretty big role in the movie is essentially George Carlin's daughter. So she's playing Rufus's daughter, who's played by George Carlin. And her character's name is Kelly, which is George Carlin's real daughter's name. Oh, shit. That's right. Yes. Oh, and I didn't know wow. that. I wish I'd seen this. I love I think the I think the first Bill and Ted's is genius. Brilliant. Bogus Journey's whatever but excellent adventure is fantastic i like this one yeah i i enjoy it. i've seen it a couple times now it's enjoyable so yeah this is some of her best dramatic acting it's weird to say that but this is not a really a comedic role it's very a serious role for her i wish i'd see more of this from her in her career because she's not too bad yeah it's one of the more dramatic roles carlin's not funny he's not funny really at all in excellent Adventure. i mean he's 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 like the narrator of the story he He's the most serious of all the, because, you know, he's dealing with these, like, pothead, you know, <laughs> idiots. So he, he, yeah, he comes off as, like, the, the most serious of anybody, for sure. 
Well, she's angry at her mom in this movie because oh. her mom is is basically fucking over Bill and Ted in this story. <laughs> so she's she's trying to support him. Mom's not feeling it, and so she's really angry at her. Just good lightweight entertainment. Yeah, but like you say, yep. very unusual. Even for all the returning performers, it's just an atypical movie that, much like My Spy, just came out at the right time. I agree. Last thing I'll mention here before highest critic score is she's in a. A recurring role on a Disney Plus show called The Mysterious Benedict Society. She plays number two. So some more kid-friendly entertainment available on Disney Plus. Nice. Let's hit Bob's Burgers movie. Highest critic, 2022. We haven't really talked about Bob's Burgers at all, so I'm going to serve it up serve it up here to Rigby to talk a little bit about the film. So I'll keep my review short just because I know that this is a very popular show and I was not familiar with it before I saw the movie. So I don't really want to ruin it and not do it as justice. So and it's also recent. So I think just go check it out on HBO Max. It's it's one of the one of our fresher movies that we reviewed on this podcast. So but yeah, Bob's Burgers movies is based off the animated sitcom Bob's Burgers. And that has been airing on Fox for the last since 2011, I think. Is that right, Kyle? Yep. Yeah. It revolves around the Belcher family who is lives above the restaurant that they own called Bob's Burgers. It's a burger stand. And the movie is about the family's sort of plight in hoping to keep their store or their restaurant open. They've having some financial difficulties and everything seems to be kind of going wrong and working against them keeping their restaurant open. Their, their uh, bank loan is due and they just are struggling to come up with a way to, to, to save their restaurant, to save their family business. In relation to that, there's also this weird sort of quirky murder mystery that comes with it. And that is actually led by Kristen Shaw's character, Louise. She's the youngest daughter of the family. And I actually think she was the best character in this. She, there were some really, really funny moments with her in it. She's, always has really good puns and really good just like she's really witty and good comebacks and again i was not familiar with this show i probably won't watch the show just because i'm not the biggest as you guys know the biggest fan of animated series but i really enjoyed the movie it was a quick hour and 40 minute watch it was funny all of the really good like surrounding cast too: kevin klein uh zach alfanakis jenny slate just like Awesome. Even though, even though these are obviously voice characters, uh, you can kind of tell it's them, and you and you and you you know see their personalities in these characters. So I uh, really enjoyed the movie, and yeah, I wasn't surprised that it was it was the highest critic score. I think it's around like the mid eighties on Rotten Tomatoes. So I want to say yep. it's like 80, 88 or something like that. Something high on the dot. I recommend it, um, and I wanted to sort of segue that into the show, just because again, I Gary Cole's in this too. He plays Sergeant Bosco. That's right. I forgot that Gary Cole was in it. That's great. Mm-hmm. Louise Belcher tends to be like one of everybody's favorite characters from the show. That's kind of what it's... I read just off my general research of the show. Mm-hmm. There's articles about like Louise Belcher's best quotes from Bob's Burgers, and just like you know, she's kind of the. And I feel like I've seen people like dress as her for like Halloween, and it's just like a very. She's a it's a it's a pretty uh pretty notable character for for that kind of crowd. So like it's that and Tina, and Tina being so awkward and just droll. People relate to that in a lot of ways, but it's very different character. All of the other there's two other women in the family, but they're both voiced by men. And, yeah, uh, Kristen Shaw's the only or Louise is the only one who's a woman who's actually played by or voiced by a woman. I'm glad you finally dipped your toes into Bob's Burgers. 
I thought it was funny. It was just a really good. It, it was a really good easy watch, especially on like a Sunday Sunday afternoon when you just kind of mm-hmm. kind of got some time to kill and laying around. And yeah, it was a it was a good one for sure. There's all kinds of humor for everyone, you know, from just random adventures to fathers are a sorry lot to all these genius kids coming up with outrageous inventions. You know, <laughs> I thought Louise and I thought Teddy were my favorite characters of the. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Teddy was classic. He was great. And there's some like actual stakes in this one where they, you think they're going to get buried alive in the sinkhole. It's like, oh shit, mm-hmm. it's going down. Yeah. Like they, they create some legitimate tension for survival in this too. So I thought I enjoyed it too. It kind of reminded me of the Simpsons movie a little bit. Just like it's, it sort of explored like a kind of a darker side. So yep. we've reached kind of modern day, but the, the, the last thing I want to do is create some space for us to talk about any brief TV appearances of hers that we that we want to note? Some of the big ones over the years, and again, like we've covered big TV actors who've done a lot. Gary Cole's another one who's hit a lot. Her hit list is pretty good. So you got Law and Order SVU, Law and Order Criminal Intent, Mad Men 07, How I Met Your Mother 07, Aqua Teen Hunger Force 08, Modern Family 2010, Broad City 2011, The Penguins of Madagascar 2011. Two episodes of The Simpsons, 2011-2018, American Dad, 2011-2012, Archer, 2013, Wilfred, three episodes of that in 2013, Glee, 2014, Adventure Time in 2013-2014, Big Mouth, and most recently, Our Flag Means Death, another Taika project. Yep. Of those, any that stood out to you, especially you, Cam, I know you've you had a ton of content along the way in your research. The other shows you mentioned, you know, the, the Mad Men, Law and & Order, and How I Met Your Mom. Mother moments were basically just kind of just featured cameos, but it was just interesting seeing a more serious side to her, kind of like what Jim Gaffigan and some other comedians who have attempted drama had done. But the standout was mainly for me was in Modern Family, just because it was just her typical kind of weird. She plays a gal who falls in love with Manny and doesn't realize, oh, he's actually a teen. This is wrong. And she's a bit of a bookworm. And so once again, Total balancing act. She's got like three different things going on all at once for a one-shot character, and I I thought that stood out because that complemented the rest of that mockumentary show. I don't really remember her uh, How I Met Your Mother role. It was like really brief, but yeah, earlier in the run. Okay. Yeah, my favorite of this list is her character as Wilfred. I went back and watched the episodes with her in that season. <laughs> I think it's season three of Wilfred. You love that show, Kyle. Such a great show. Uh, it's so good. I, I forget that it's on Hulu, so it's readily available for everybody that wants to rewatch it in all its glory. But I, I didn't remember her character, so I went back and watched it. She's in three episodes in that season, <laughs> and she plays a woman who shows up to Elijah Wood's house because he's he needs a roommate. He's trying to because you know how he can never get a job in the movie because he's <laughs> hanging out with this stone a stone a stoner dog who's talking to him. He ends up bringing her in to be his roommate because Wilfred really likes her. And it turns out she makes money by basically having an OnlyFans where she just eats food on camera. And that's all she does. (laughs) And so guys just are like borderline creepy, like, oh, yeah, eat that pickle for me. And Wilfred loves her because she leaves crumbs and food all over her bed from all of her OnlyFans work. So he wants her to stay forever because he just gets to clean up the scraps. So that was the one I watched. I was like, oh, that's fun. Very nice. (laughs) <laughs> in an interview she said she was a fan of her appearance in uh, law and order svu it was the episode brotherhood and she played a she kept saying cremator which i don't think is actually the word but she was the person in charge of it was a key role it was yeah and she helped them solve the 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 mystery and it was a fraternity pledge master 
<laughs> that was that was murdered, and she helped solve. So it was it was a very profound role in her career. Early too, right? Right, but I I, yeah. I, I, I do applaud yeah, her for four. many of these roles because it's not like when you look at so many other actors, and just about everyone had a guest spot on like Larry Saunders or CSI or ER. Is like no, she's actually doing something in just about all these featured roles. She's had a very blessed agent. <laughs> yeah that's a pretty good hit list of tv shows over 20 years or so yeah just under 20 years yeah good for her and her agent getting on a lot of big time television shows and that's not even all of them there's a lot more on her list but those are the big ones i think people would know if we talked i think she was in an ng trebecca episode but it was very very brief rigby top performances i'm very interested to see what list you have for someone who is more of a tv performer than film i think rigby found the top two movie roles <laughs> two so i found a list from collider it's from 20 2022 actually but it does involve everything she's ever been in and it's so it's animated it's okay it's tv it's movies all right even even ones where she plays herself i'll just say that so just uh <laughs> You said it's from it's, Collider? Yeah, and it's called The 10 Most Iconic Roles of Kristen Schaal. Wow. It's not numerically ranked, though, so. I'm going to reach. I'm going to say Bill and Ted. Nope. Oh, come on. I'll do the easy one. Bob's Burgers. Yep, Louise Belcher. Okay. Walk in the Woods has definitely got to be on there somewhere. It's not, actually. Oh, well, then this is already wrong. <laughs> no, no, no. Craig, I'll let you do the honors. Last Man on Earth. There you go. A Daily Show has got to be on there. Nice, Kyle. Herself on The Daily Show is what it's described as. Okay, perfect. But it is Concords. No. Why do the Concords that didn't make it? No, it didn't make it. Fascinating. 30 Rock? I don't know. 30 Rock, no as well. Wow. Oh. Someone hasn't seen much of their resume. (laughs) So BoJack is on there, I assume. Yes. Sarah Lynn. That's her her Emmy nom, so that makes sense. Despicable Me Too. Yes. Shannon, Despicable Me Too. All right, so Toy Story is probably going to be on there. Toy Story 3. Snyder. Trixie. No, no, all night. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Just checking. Just she's she's fine. The movie's yeah. dookie, but she's fine. I know. I'm just checking. I mean, she's <laughs> the second best person in there, and everybody loves J.K. Simmons. So to be second behind him, that's a good spot. That's true. We'll be doing the shadows. It's going to be on there, I assume. Is not. Holy shit, man. Oh, what about Captain Underpants? Nope. There's no way. Uh, Rigby, what are we missing? Like, how many are movies? How many are TV? the breakdown i think it's all tv both animated and regular sitcom i'm trying to think of what anyone would have seen for 2004 appearance in law and order svu episode brotherhood no (laughs) (laughs) episode brotherhood we got missing like four right yeah i think you are missing four my spy the movie my spy nope was her character on simpsons a recurring role or two different one-offs gravity falls yeah gravity falls nice Nice. Gravity Falls has got to be on there. Yeah, that's... I don't know how we'd miss that. That's dumb. A recent Disney show? Nope. Wow. So, Cam, I will say one one performance is on here that you just talked about and you liked. Mm. A Modern Family. Yeah. Modern uh, Family. For real? Her, I mean, her appearance is Whitney on Modern Family. There you go, though. That's That <laughs> proves your point, Cam, that it stood out. It was good, but... <laughs> okay. Interesting. Hit us with the rest. Hit us with the rest. I think we're digging. Got one more guess. For 25 minutes at the writing table of South Park. <laughs> she wishes. The two that we missed are appearance as Laura on How I Met Your Mother. Okay. Mm-hmm. Another show that I didn't watch, a librarian on American Dad. Oh, so we mentioned them. We just didn't talk about them. Yep. Let's top three it. 
of those of those that list, what do we think are our top three? This list gets an F. <laughs> I've only seen two of these. My top two would be Louise at number one, and probably her Daily Show is number two, just because those are the those, the Daily Show is what I know her most from, and Louise Belcher is I think what everybody else knows her from. So Last Man on Earth is the top two for her, one hundred percent. Got it. I could buy Daily Show three. It's Louise Last Man on Earth, but I don't know what number three is. I mean, Flight of the Concords, no. It's gotta be if that not that or Thirty Rock. Falls. Yeah. yeah. She's pretty good in Gravity Falls. Yeah, okay, so Gravity too. Falls or, can be three or four. And then so, again, it just feels like an incomplete list. Like they just went through random stuff as opposed to <laughs> big key roles. I don't know. Well, thanks, Rigby. Uh, we appreciate that, man. Yeah, dude. Yep. Um, that's actually a pretty good, better list than I thought we were going to be able to get for that, to be completely honest. so That's a pretty good find. Good job, Collider. All right, let's get into the Munson meter. What we do, we rank every actor on a scale of 0 to 100 based on a variety of factors. Those factors could include their longevity as a performer, project choice, pop culture impact, their acting range, awards footprint, other talents they might have, personal life, comedic chops, box office success or lack thereof, and anything else that matters to us as Munsons. As much as I know he doesn't love going first, especially with actors like Christian Shaw, Case, you're up. <laughs> I'll start out by prefacing my review that the format of this podcast is really not ideal for uh, Kristen Schaal and the roles that she's that she plays and she's good at. You know, it's tough to evaluate her on the same basis as other performers like Jessica Chastain, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and, and so on. I mean, we got such a list of just incredible, timeless actors that it's tough to compare her the same way. You know, I think she's adorable. I genuinely enjoy her roles and what she brings to projects. While she does hold her own in the box office numbers, like I said earlier, I'm throwing those out on her. You know, she's just not the driving force in any of those projects. Her audience attraction, in my opinion, comes on the TV side because of what I said earlier in that I think she's great at the long game. I think she grows on the audience. Every time I see her, at least, I, I like her more and more and more in those roles. Roles like Last Man on Earth are just totally in her wheelhouse. But her movie roles that are notable aren't enough to make me consider her both a movie and TV performer. She's just a TV performer who does movies. I really hope we get a lot more of her in bigger film roles coming up. I really do think and hope that her best work on the film side is yet to come. There's a bunch of things I can point out where I would dock her on her score, but I'll save them as I really do enjoy her as a, as a comedic actress. And I find her wildly entertaining. Taking the good with the bad, you take them both, and you have her score of 61. Nice. Uh, Rigby, you're up. Yeah, Craig, you you hit it. She's a hard one to score just because she's so stuck with her unique voice and that the voice animated roles that we talked or the animated roles that we talked about. Um, she is very funny and she's talented, but yeah, obviously one of the one of the lesser, you know talented actors or actresses that we've covered not saying that she hasn't put in a really good career for herself and and we'll we'll keep doing that i don't know i'm always i'm always kind of hesitant to say that you know her biggest her most notable role is a voice role when she's going to be associated with being a, a little you know a little uh louise belcher the rest of her career unless she starts doing some more uh some more serious stuff so yeah she's going to get one of my lowest scores she's going to get a 63 am our guest months and you're up concur she 
uh, started out in a lot of limited roles and we're slowly seeing a few different sides to her, but she's mainly been kind of typecast in the quirky and annoying roles. And, and again, the movies, unfortunately, are just still part of an ensemble featured guest appearance. And so she just wins out for most audiences just with her six plus TV uh, starring roles. And again, I do feel like she could do a little more. We haven't seen the full yeah. Kahuna yet. I don't think she's as bad as Craig Robinson, where he's the best part of every movie and it sucks, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do think she she's weighing that odds. She just really wins out with with the characters that she has established, especially on 30 Rock and Concords for me. I and Bob's Burgers, uh, she's shown she can do voiceovers as well as live action, as well as stand up. She's kind of more like uh, Mary Lynch, Raj Schaub, and Rain Wilson, where we're slowly seeing a few different sides of them, but she's mainly associated with the show that made her career. So I got to give her a 73 just because the comedic female Andy Kaufman approach just is such a charming win altogether. Rain Wilson, that's a good comparison. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised she wasn't on The Office. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she does seem like a very Office type figure for sure. Yeah, that's actually shocking that she didn't make an appearance at some point. I would have thought always Sunny or something. Yeah, but no, she's not on there. She lacks dramatic abilities compared to other performers we've covered. You know, as I look at these other names, I'm like, ah, I can't put her in the same category as the other folks. She just doesn't really have it. And she's not somebody who can carry a project. At least she hasn't shown she can. Nobody's gave her, given her that opportunity. Right. She's a supporting character at best. Yeah. And in many cases, she's like a 10th build or lower. And she provides a little color commentary, a little little bit of flavor, but nothing that's going to win you in the box office or not. She's been a part of some good ensembles that's helped her out in our box office measurement, but that's not going to do much for me. Her voice is memorable, but it restricts her range and the types of roles she can take. But it works well in animated and comedic support roles. Um, she's hilarious in shows like Bob's Burgers, Gravity Falls, What We Do in the Shadows, and you got to give her some bonus points for the fact I fell in love with The Last Man on Earth, even though season three is waning a little bit on me. The The interesting thing about me with Kristen Shaw is most of the time when I watch stuff with our actors, I come in with a mindset, and I come in with a lens of how I view them as a performer, and it usually changes, because I've watched something that I've never seen before, I'm like, holy crap, they've got this extra skill set that they didn't have, that I didn't realize they had before. And nothing about Chris and Shaw changed in terms of my mindset going in. Like, I never, I didn't watch anything where I was like, oh, she gave, she brought something different to the, the table. Not really. She's exactly, she is who we thought she was. <laughs> let her up the Dennis Green, I love it. That's a good call. <laughs> and the fact she only has one noteworthy award nomination is going to kill her. And she didn't win it for BoJack. And it was a guest appearance. And she doesn't really have any philanthropic work of note. She doesn't really, she's done one directing cred. She has no producing. So like a lot of other stuff I give bonus points on aren't there. She's an author, so that's helpful, but I lied. She is getting my lowest score. I'm giving her a 51. That's all good. I get it. One point less than Chris O'Dowd. I can't give her a higher score than Chris O'Dowd. Just to be completely fair about it. Do you have what I gave Chris O'Dowd? Because I feel like they're, I feel like that's the closest for me too. You gave Chris O'Dowd a 64 okay so ready for a 63 so one point higher all right good (laughs) with that that gives kristen shawl a 62 on the dot which puts her in 59th place sandwiched between aubrey plaza and david spade not shocking a lot of comedic actors here at the bottom as case talked about with our scale what are our thoughts on that i hope all these guys get used more than charlie day and 
Kevin Hart. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to put Kevin Hart in every one of the right. projects. <laughs> like, other people can do stuff, right? <laughs> Better than I thought she was going to do, to be completely honest. Uh, normally, this is when I would toss it to James to say, hey, James, what does she have coming? But since he's not here, I'll pick up the slack. The only thing she has, and her coming soon on IMDb at least, is a TV show that's coming out in 2022. It's not already out. Called Green Beret's Guide to Surviving the Apocalypse. <laughs> it's about Vance, who plays a comic version of himself as he tries to survive through various apocalyptic scenarios, including a nuclear attack, super volcano eruption, or of course, a zombie attack. Nice. As I look through the list of other actors, I really don't recognize anybody else. So, Sounds like a semi-sequel to Last Man on Earth. High hopes, but that's all she has right now, in either in pre- or post-production. Do you so, have any stand-up specials? Other than... Nope. Oh, wow. Not that I can see. Yeah. So, I'm interested to see what she does next. Probably more TV, I would imagine. Our next episode's going to hit September 8th. And we're bringing back Sam Phillips, who was here for the Dakota Fanning episode with that legendary, absolutely destruction of Cat in the Hat <laughs> that we pared down because it, it was so long we had to pare it down. And he was almost here for Luis Guzman, but had to pull out at the last second. There are five actors we're throwing onto the wheel, and he picked one of them. Well, the wheel selected one of them, but he chose this one. So those five actors are Claire Forlani, James McAvoy, Bill Pullman, Michael Sheen, and Natalie Portman. What do we think about the list? Ooh, Portman. Love her. And we could talk about her Lonely Island songs. Yeah. <laughs> the, the most raunchy human in the world. <laughs> Love Black Swan, too. And her uh, behind-the-scene rivalry with Natasha Lyonne. That's right. That's right. You did bring that up. <laughs> we'll get into some more Marvel with her. One of the first uh, chick flicks I ever got into, Where the Heart Is, where she has a baby at the Walmart. Mm-hmm. Her and Ashley Judd. Good combo. I liked it. I haven't rewatched it since then, so that'd be fun. For sure. Bill Pullman, so we can hear Kyle talk about the speech word for word for at least 20 oh minutes. Oh my God. <laughs> That's going to be our sound bites at the end of the episode. Yeah, That's easy. Sure. That's easy. Pickens, baby. I love Pullman. My screenwriting professor would play it like every other month saying, make sure your script doesn't sound like this speech. <laughs> <laughs> The old what not to do. But Paulman, you could joke about how many politician and roles that were originally meant for some A-lister like Richard Gere or Harrison Ford and ultimately went to him. <laughs> A great Bill Pullman movie is The Last Seduction with Linda mm. Florentino. I don't know if you've heard of that movie. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. I know Linda, but I've never heard of that movie. Watch it. Yeah, and John Dahl and young Peter Berg. Yep, young Peter Berg, nice. Yeah, I love Pullman. He'd probably be my pick. He's also been in some fucking shit turds the last, like, five years, too. So. Yeah, Independence Day, too. <laughs> he's, yeah, like, that was an awful movie. Absolutely atrocious movie. Yeah. So it would be interesting. Uh, Claire Forlani, I, I only think of Meet Joe Black with her. Yeah, that... The Rock, yeah. Mystery Men, yeah. I guess, is the other one I think of. Yeah, pretty much. She's, she's Sean Connery's daughter in The Rock. Uh, the Rock, she was with... Oh, yeah. She was with Zach Morris and Evil Bruce Willis and Precious Cargo. But yeah, other than that, she's mainly known for just being indie queen and married to Dougry Scott. <laughs> Mallrats. 
Oh, I did forget about yeah. Mallrats. Yes. Yeah, she's the she's the love interest in Mallrats. She's been in a couple decent movies the last couple of years. Black Beauty was okay, and Five Feet Apart mm-hmm. I actually really liked with Haley Lou Richardson. So she's been in some okay stuff lately. It's on like a, a horror movie on Netflix or like a thriller on Netflix. It was about uh, like a husband and wife like who had an affair. I can't remember what uh, it was called. An affair to die for. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Titus Welliver. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. It looks just based on the photo I'm looking at. It looks terrible. So that would be. It was pretty bad. <laughs> the irony is Titus isn't even in the movie. You <laughs> just hear his voice. Yeah. And I'm like, and you put him on the poster. What a still. <laughs> And it's not a good poster. That's that's marketing, Cam. That's oh, marketing. Oh, damn investor. James McAvoy's the dude. So he'd have a lot of really fun stuff. Right. I mean, you get into you get into X-Men stuff with him. You get into... Atonement's fantastic. Oh, yeah. That's yep. a great movie. He's in that movie with uh, Angelina Jolie, right? The, uh, uh, Wanted. With it and the Bullets. Wanted. Yeah, Wanted. Yeah, Switch. okay. So yeah, you'd have a mixture of popcorn movies, period pieces, and just funny interviews on his end. Or not switch, uh, split. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's great. Split. He's awesome in Split, man. Yeah. That was that was a really fun role to watch him do his thing. Last King of Scotland too. I forgot he's in that. Yep. He's only got 61 credits, so that's nice. Totally. And it Chapter Two, which that would be an entertaining as well. I, I guess the only person we haven't talked about is Michael Sheen in one of Rigby's favorites, Frost Nixon. Yep. Frost Nixon. Yep. He's also hilarious in uh, Midnight in Paris too. Oh yeah, one of my favorite movies. He's just like the douchebag, douchebag aristocrat uh-huh. who thinks he's better than everybody else. <laughs> yep. I remember watching him in a special. I'd have to look it up, but he was fucking, he was so good. This was like a year ago. I watched him in something for a different episode. I like Michael Sheen. He'd be, he'd be a fun one. Passengers too. He plays the robot yeah. in Passengers. Forgot about that. I could never get into the trashy underworld sequels or uh, what? Oh, he's in the Underworld movies, isn't he? Uh, the, and I've never there seen There is them. a bunch of other just questionable roles he's done, but I, I've never seen Masters of Sex. But one movie I think you all would like is uh, Unthinkable, where he plays a madman terrorist who's just like, just relentless. Like the entire time, Sam Jackson and others are just torturing him. And it's it, literally, he's just not giving in to anything they're doing. He's just like, I'm not going to give away any hints as to where all free bombs are. Oh wow! It's a very suspenseful one location movie. Well, what? Who do we think our boy Sam Phillips pick? Dakota Fanning and Luis Guzman. Not quite a theme there. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Pullman. Billy P. I'm gonna go Pullman. Yeah, Pullman or Natalie. What do you think, Case? Place your bet. I'm gonna bet with my heart here because I want to spend at least forty <laughs> minutes talking about The Rock. So Claire Forlani. Oh my God. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You never know who Sam's going to pick. He's pretty unpredictable. Um, Cam, if you had to pick a second one, second episode in a row, who would you pick? Uh, definitely Natalie Portman. Yes. Okay. You you pick a variety of people, and I love it. It's very diverse options from you. These guys are never going to be able to guess what you're picking next, and that's what's fun about it. Totally. So. <laughs> well, we don't decide. Cam doesn't decide. Sam doesn't decide. The wheel decides, and we'll see what happens. I don't do shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cam, this is the guest plug portion. You know how this goes. Give you, give you a minute to talk a little bit about what's going on with the plugs about the podcast or any wise words for audience. The floor is yours, my friend. Okay, so Jacked Up Review Show has been doing all kinds of things. We've been hitting it off lately, doing a lot of different filmmakers. We're going to definitely have Kyle on to discuss the artiste, and I say that sarcastically, known as Tommy Wiseau. We've gone into just all kinds of filmmakers, just seeing where they derail, where do they... Did they start off doing lowbrow movies and then start trying to do dramatic stuff? 
where are they accepted with the audience versus why does everyone come to love their work over time, regardless of it not making any money or not? We've done everyone from Paul Verhoeven to Brian Napoma. Exception to the rule of if you've done more bad than good, you're probably not good. It's like, no, he's really good, but he's just unfortunately had a lot of misfires. Um, I am now editing the Slasher podcast, uh, Gag Me With a Knife, which is hosted by Emily Dunlap. Check that out if you want some hysterical just takedowns of slashers of all kinds of quality from different eras. I have done collaborations on my show and with others on with Subversive Cinema, Cinema PsyOps, Culture Shocked, and plenty of other podcasts. And always down for a good sit down, just like this one. Appreciate you being here, my friend. It's always fun. It's so much fun having you on. It's, it's a blast. Yeah. I was looking forward to this. I was like, whatever happens, <laughs> get the phone up and running. <laughs> Bring your shit. Bring everything. <laughs> Let's wrap this thing up. As always, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can find us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from uh, Chris and Sean? You've been watching me. That is so creepy. That is an invasion of my personal space. Why would you do that? Why would you watch me? Have you been watching me? What, what did you see? What have I been doing? Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? Working on a night move.